Yo, before we get started with today's episode, I just want to mention real quick as a disclaimer that topics such as eating disorders can be very sensitive for a lot of people. It can 100% be triggering for people, and if you think that this may apply to you, I just wanted to give you the heads up. With a topic such as this, you may want to listen with a trusted adult or friend. Or, if this isn't a topic you feel comfortable listening to or talking about at all, then absolutely no worries. You can go ahead and skip this episode, and I'll catch you in the next one. And last but not least, my guests and I are by no means experts on the topic. We're just two friends actively learning more about eating disorders while documenting an enlightening conversation about it. Alright, roll the intro. Yo, hope everyone's having a great day so far, and welcome to the Life Podcast. All right, everybody. So welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast that you're probably just hearing about for the first time now. But (laughs) today I have a really special guest with me, one of my really close friends from high school, very good person all around, super funny, probably one of the funniest people I've ever met, to be honest. I'm really excited to have her on the show because uh, we're going to be talking about something a little bit more on the serious side, but it's going to be really cool to, you know, give the floor to Logan and let her say what she has to say because she's clearly in my experience and the time that I've known her, she's very insightful on the topic. And the topic we're going to be discussing about today is eating disorders. The reason I wanted to talk about this and bring her on the show is because uh, it's a topic that I feel like not a lot of people know about or know enough about. Um, you know, in, in school growing up, they, they kind of just like glaze over the topic briefly And even now, you know, like in social media, everyone's, you know, pushing these movements, whether it be uh, Black Lives Matter or uh, mental health. But there hasn't been quite enough attention in my mind uh, regarding eating disorders. And I'm sure Logan can attest to that. So, Logan, welcome. Hello. I'm very happy to be here. I'm so excited. (laughs) Super excited to have you. So let's let's start from the, the very very basics, the, the building block of your knowledge about eating disorders. What even is an eating disorder? So I actually looked this up online because I wanted to see what they gave me, like the mm-hmm. most basic terms. Um, so what it says online is like any range of psychological disorders characterized by abnormal or disturbed eating habits. Now that seems a little broad and it kind of like, I feel as though kind of what you were saying, that's what you learn in school. And then you don't really talk about it much more. Mm -hmm. So then I thought of like my own definition. And so I said mental illness surrounding body image, eating habits, and exercise obsession. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that is not very well known about eating disorders is that it's a mental, it's a mental illness. You know, it's not just, you know, focused on the physical symptoms of it or like the physical behaviors of it but it's at at its base it's a mental illness and it kind of stems from other mental illnesses um and so through like these habits that i'm gonna kind of go into so there's three separate habits so there's restricting purging and binging and so those are kind of the different ways you can kind of see if someone has an eating disorder and how they kind of present themselves like to the public more or less. So going off of, you know, we were just talking about the three different types. Uh, I'm blanking already. I'm sorry. So it's, it's binging, <laughs> purging, and restricting. Restricting. Yes. Um, so those are all like the three major factors, like you mentioned. 
But going off of that, what are the most common types of eating disorders? So there are actually a lot more like different types of eating disorders than people usually like know of. So the biggest one that we hear the most about is anorexia. So that would be like um, anyone restricting like calories um, that's like way less than what they actually need in order to function. So there's like the whole talk of basal metabolic rate and it's like they're restricting to a very, very minimum amount. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the biggest misconceptions about anorexia and people with anorexia is that people with anorexia, they do eat. It's just the amount that they eat is so little that it causes their body to actually shut down. And Mm -hmm. so that's what you see mostly in society of like people who look really thin or people like who just aren't eating. And there's, it's very, very normalized in diet culture, which is, gets me, gets me going, but that is a whole other section. No, we'll get to, we'll get to soon. (laughs) Um, But that's like the one that people see a lot. And when you say eating disorders, people usually picture someone who's very, very thin and Mm -hmm. is in the hospital or any kind of, you know, like that, that's what you picture. The, there is another diagnosis of anorexia that's kind of controversial. It's called atypical anorexia. And that's someone who doesn't meet the low weight criteria. This is kind of, um, you know, it's argued about because by calling someone with an eating disorder atypical, it kind of acts into that competitive aspect of anorexia. And it also t- like ties into the whole, oh, I'm not sick enough for treatment or, oh, I don't deserve to be doing these things or whatever. And a lot of people with so-called atypical anorexia don't end up getting treatment. And so that is the most common type of anorexia, but also the less least treated. And then another common one is bulimia, um, which is most commonly a combination of binging and purging. So someone with bulimia would like binge a lot at night and then feel guilty and then have to purge out the calories. Um, they do purge in a bunch of different ways, like a lot more ways than you would really think initially so there's obviously like self-induced vomiting um and then there's also laxative abuse um uh diuretics and also like diet pills Mm -hmm. um anything that kind of so-called rids your body of any calories is considered purging um there is one kind of discrepancy of like over exercise some people say over exercise is considered a purging behavior other people say it's a complete other behavior in and of itself Um, but that's also a lot of times it is a symptom of both bulimia, anorexia, and all other types of types of eating disorders. Um, there's also binge eating disorder, which is the most common type in America. Um, so this is someone who, you know, tends to turn to food to supplement emotions or any type of coping skills that they have. Um, it's also kind of an emotional eater, um, And when they go through this, these um, binges, they feel out of control. And it's a lot of times people who have binge eating disorder, you know, are told like, oh, you're lazy. Oh, you just control yourself. You have no self-control. And it's, it's not as simple as that. And I think that it is the most misunderstood of the eating disorders because people usually just point fingers and say, you're not taking care of yourself, but it is much more than just, they can't stop eating. It's very, very much ingrained in themselves and they feel like controlled by an outside, but you know, being, Mm -hmm. um, so that one can be really difficult, especially in society today. Um, there's also 
um, something called ARFID or avoidant restrictive feeding intake disorder. Um, and this is mostly um, most common in children. Um, and so this is someone who um, limits their amount of food that they take in um, because they're worried of choking. Um, they don't like textures. They're worried of getting sick. Um, so a lot of times you'll see kids who are very picky, but then it, they take it a step further and like they will not eat certain amounts of things. And then from that, they don't get enough nutrients and then they become, you know, they have an eating disorder from that. Mm -hmm. um, there's another one. I know there's a lot. I'm sorry. Uh, no, this is crazy. I, I think it's super interesting because, and I'm glad you're you're telling not only me about it, but everyone about it. Because just from my own perspective, like I feel like obviously I could have done my my extensive research to really understand what was going to go on in between or coming into this, but I really wanted to learn from you, and I I already am. Like I, I all I know about eating disorders was pretty much the quote unquote core three, like being anorexia. Uh, bulimia and um oh my god what is yeah what is going on with my memory today <laughs> wow yes exactly and and there's so much more to it than you know people know and, and even just like my what I thought I knew about those three core ones like wasn't necessarily true you know what I mean right. like there, there's such a messed up stigma that it's like anorexia is just being skinny you know or bulimia like i never knew that's like like laxative abuse could be a thing and that like over exercise could constitute going into purging you know what i mean mm -hmm. and there's just so much more to it and ah, i'm so glad you're on here talking <laughs> about it seriously seriously um so i have two more that are like you know pretty big that i am going to talk about um so there's also something called OSFED or EDNOS. This is all like um, acronyms. So OSFED um, is other specified feeding and eating disorder. Um, it used to be EDNOS, which was um, eating disorder, not otherwise specified. Um, it kind of just goes back and forth in the DSM. Um, but this, this one's kind of interesting. Um, it's more or less someone who has a mixture of all of the symptoms. So they could be restricting, but then purging, and like binging and like they could have a lot of other things kind of going in and they don't fit the certain criteria for any one of the categories. So they just kind of have an overarching, you know, like, you know, name for what's kind of going on with them rather than being like, oh, you don't fit into something, you're fine. It's like, okay, you have all of these things, but we're just gonna kind of put you in this area. Um, so that's also very common. Um, and then the last one that I learned about more recently is something, I don't even know if I'm going to say this right, but it's called diabulimia. Um, and it's common in type one diabetics. Um, and it's someone who will um, manipulate the amount of insulin that they're giving themselves in order to control their weight. Um, mm. It obviously can become very dangerous. Um, but 38% of females with type one diabetes do have this, um, you know, this eating disorder and also 16% of males with type one diabetes. So it is very, very common in the type one diabetes community. Um, but that's something that I didn't really even know about. Yeah. I didn't know that either at all. Right. <laughs> and, and, and you, and you know what, like one of my best friends growing up was a diabetic. So like you think that I of all people would know this, but <laughs> here I am looking like a really bad friend, but don't worry, my friend, I'm doing better. I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I mean, obviously the, you don't, 
have this extensive knowledge on eating disorders for no reason. You know what I mean? Um, a reason why you're such a big advocate for, you know, spreading knowledge and information about eating disorders is because you yourself are uh, recovering from one as well. Um, so if you want to, you know, take the floor and talk about your story with that, uh, that'd be fantastic. And I'm looking forward to hearing it. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So my eating disorder, I think looking back on it, it started a lot when I was younger. Um, I used to, I always say this and it sounds more intense. Like I used to competitive, be a competitive dancer. I was like in third or fourth grade, so it wasn't that competitive, but, um, I mean, you know me, I'm, I'm very tall. I've always been really muscular and the other girls I danced with were not that tall or very muscular. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, what better way to breed eating disorders than put a bunch of pre-adolescent girls in front of a mirror for like six hours a day. Yeah. Oh my so, God. Right. Looking back on it, I'm like, of, of course something happened. There. You're just players playing the seed in these young girls' exactly. minds. Like exactly. And so I, I did dance for two years and that I began to, you know, that's kind of when I first noticed my body. And that was the first time I noticed it other than like, oh, I'm able to dance. I'm able to play soccer or whatever else it allowed me to do. It was the first time I compared my own body to the people around me. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was really difficult. Um, and then there also was a time in that a like time of my life where I had, I got food poisoning and I ended up being really sick. Um, and so then it kind of was a mixture of like wanting to control my body weight for it to like look different than the girl, like, or look similar to the girls around me. And also I was scared of eating food because I didn't want to get sick. Um, so that was when I was like in elementary school, um, I was able to get like a nutritionist and, you know, work through it. Um, and it wasn't until college that all of my body image issues kind of came back to the surface. Um, again, as you know, I played, um, soccer in college, um, and just being an athlete in college and an athlete in general, no matter what, you know, whether your club, high school, college, like recreational, literally anything, like you could have some sort of, like there could be some influence around you that kind of pushes you towards, you know, eating disorder behaviors. So the environment of being a college athlete, it was very much like, take care of your body or, you know, you got to eat healthy. You got to eat a certain way before games. You got to look a certain way. You got to lift. You got to do this, 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 and this. And it was very normalized to be like, oh, you can't eat this before a game or, oh, like you shouldn't be eating this at all. And it was a lot of like girls going on diets and, you know, restricting all of their food and all of these other things. And it's kind of just like thrown at you, like as a freshman in college. I mean, I was 18. Yeah. Was and meeting new people. Yeah. And that on top of the stress of just like, you know, getting accustomed to a new like learning environment, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. Like, like, like you said, like, no matter w what it be, um, like club or high school, I feel like uh, college is, that's a, that's a whole new beast. Cause like just even myself personally, like I, I wasn't a college athlete at all, but even just like going off to school and trying to, you know, get my feet on the ground and hit the ground running academically, socially, like, and like keeping in touch with people back home. And there's just, there's so much going on. Right. Exactly. And then I can't imagine like how much more stressful that must've been being an athlete and, I mean, it just seems like it was so much, you know? 
it was definitely an added layer. And I also just want to say like, I played soccer. So that's one thing, but there are a lot of athletes out there who play, who do like gymnastics or dancers or cheerleaders who have such a big focus figure skaters have a such big focus on like their body type. And those are usually the athletes that struggle the most. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something that is really important that I think the NCAA should look into. Um, But yeah, so I think for me personally, just being an athlete um, is kind of what sparked that initial, like, you know, self-conscious and insecurity. Um, It wasn't until my like junior ish sophomore year. Um, I got a new, we got a new coach um, who was very, very interested in smaller players. Um, very into like fitness, which is good for a coach, but like he really liked small players. And as I said before, I am like five, nine, I am not small. <laughs> so I did not fit that, you know, model that he wanted. Um, and he really, really pushed for like no lifting because he didn't want us to gain weight or, you know, talking to other players about, you know, oh, she looks like she's gained weight and like just a very wow. negative environment. That's um, terrible. <laughs> yeah. So just in addition to, you know, the environment of being a college girl, the environment of being a college athlete, and then also having that coach just kind of have that negative, you know, influence is yeah. just, you know, where else do you go for it? Yeah. So. What? <laughs> that is absurd. Is this coach still? Is he coaching at yeah. college still? Yeah. Oh, I pardon know. my French, but fuck that guy. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's difficult because I think in defense of coaches, which I'm not usually in defense of coaches, but mm-hmm. it is hard when you want your team to be you know, the best in, like, most in shape or, like, you know, the most successful, like, that's your, that's your life's work right there. You know, that's what you, that's what you do. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so, like, that's what their focus is, but it's kind of, like, how they go about it needs to be a little bit better. Yeah, Um, I agree. So, it, it is difficult for college coaches, I will say, but, it also doesn't make it any easier for the athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of my fellow teammates did struggle with similar problems. Um, but um, what kind of pushed me to kind of recognize that I actually had a problem, um, I worked at an eating disorder treatment center um, because I thought that that's what I wanted to do. I was drawn to the work for obvious reasons, even if I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Um and when I started working with my like residents and, you know, reading their stories and listening to kind of what they were going through, I was like, wait, that sounds familiar. Exactly. And I yeah. was like, this hits a little too close to home. Yeah. And so that's kind of when I started thinking, and I was like, oh, are these not normal? Like I, it was just kind of like a whirlwind of emotions at that point. I was yeah. like, there's so many things going on and like, it's just it was a it was a really difficult time for me and then you know time goes on you're just exposed to that environment and if you already kind of have you know the predisposition to it and you already kind of have a history of it like you're gonna just kind of spiral down so all of my behaviors that I had been able to you know retain and like 
repress a little bit more kind of came flooding back. And that's when I kind of went into this deep spiral of like, you need help. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened when like coronavirus happened. I was like trapped in my job and it was just, it was honestly awful. It was one of the worst years of my life, mm-hmm. but I cannot be more thankful that I reached out to my mom and said like, I actually need help because it was getting to a point where my boyfriend was like, you are like unpleasant to be around. And that's kind wow. of where, you know, people who have eating disorders, like that's it's like people around them are the ones who kind of push them to get into treatment. Because a lot of times if you have an eating disorder, you don't recognize it as that much of a problem mm-hmm. or you don't really want to get better because the reason eating disorders work so well is, you know, if you are someone like me who has had anxiety, depression since high school, like if you have an eating disorder, it, they're used to numb all of those emotions. And if I'm having all of these emotions from being right out of college, working for the first time, like all of these other things and being around such a stressful environment, you know, obviously I'm going to turn to something that kind of compresses and like pushes all of those feelings away mm-hmm. because why would anyone want to feel that amount of overwhelming emotions? So that's why eating disorders, people with eating disorders rather like they don't come forward as often because they don't want to change their behavior because for once in their life, they're not having that overwhelming anxiety. Yeah. And so it wasn't until my boyfriend, my sister, and then a couple of my friends from work were like, you need to do something about this because this is painful for us. And we can't like, we need you to do something because I can't see you do this to yourself anymore. Yeah. That must've been really tough to hear. And like, Cause obviously these are people that, you know, you care about and vice versa. And like you were saying, like, it, it, it it's like something that almost gives you comfort. Like, like you, like you mentioned like with like a spiral of everything going on around you. And so like, obviously since that must've been such a difficult time and probably continues to be difficult. How do you, how do you cope with, having an eating disorder and do you have any tips for anyone who may be you know like uncovering those feelings and just starting to realize that they may need help as well yeah I think that's the hardest part I think I was for a while I was in denial obviously of like oh I'm fine like I don't like I'm doing x y and z sometimes and like even doing that once is enough Um, but like, if you just recognize, like, if you're someone who's struggling and if you just recognize that what you're doing, like, it doesn't feel right. Like a lot of times we know, you know, what we're supposed to be doing and then we do other things anyway. And it's like, if you recognize that you're doing those so-called maladaptive coping skills, you know, like purging, restricting, binging, like recognize that as something that's kind of not, not right in your body. And then from there you know, allow that and like allow yourself to feel that and then kind of see, you know, what else comes of it. And then from that, you know, maybe talk to someone who you feel really close with and be like, hey, I've been kind of doing these things. Like, I just kind of want your support or, yeah, you know, I think that that's something that helped me the most. I mean, working in an ED treatment center, I was surrounded by so many helpful people who I cannot thank enough for being there for me. Um, And I reached out to them first for like help. 
because I was like, I think that I also have a problem. Mm-hmm. And they really helped me because you need to reach out to someone who you know is going to be validating and not be like, oh, you don't, you don't look sick, which is the yeah. worst thing someone could say. Yeah. Which, which people usually were getting away from, you know, that kind of stigma, but, um, you know, kind of confide in someone that you feel really comfortable with and someone who you don't think is going to judge you. Yeah. Um, Cause you cannot, you, you cannot recover on your own. It is mm-hmm. so difficult to do that on your own because when you're so deep in an eating disorder, you are your own worst enemy. And if it gets to a point when you're completely controlled by your eating disorder, like you don't even know you're like, you can't differentiate between your eating disorder and yourself. And so you need to reach out for that help before it gets to that point. And if it isn't that point, like you, (laughs) you really need to ask for help. Mm. Um, But I think one of the hardest parts, in addition to, you know, admitting you have a problem as that's the hardest in most things, you know, is like, okay, okay, I have a problem. What now? You know, and I think you looking at your options, there are a bunch of options for treatment. You could look at getting a therapist, a dietitian. like there are a lot of different options and it kind of seems like a jumble of like craziness. And you're like, I have no idea what to do right now. Um, I would say the first thing, if you really are serious about, you know, recovery and going into treatment, like call your doctor like explain what's kind of going on, have like for right now, like a tele telehealth meeting or anything um, and just kind of explain. And, you know, even just saying what's going on and someone being like, yeah, that's probably not the best thing for you right now. Or like, yeah, this isn't normal. Like maybe we, you know, do this instead. And kind of having that validation is enough to be like, okay, maybe this isn't normal because a lot of times you go through however many months and you're like, oh, I'm totally fine. Like, this is normal because you just convince yourself of that. Yeah. But it's not normal. But I would say if you if you or someone else, someone you know, like, thinks that they might have an eating disorder, you know, if it's someone else, like, listen to them, validate them, like, let them talk. Don't, do not try to fix the problem at hand. Yeah. You have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And it goes much, much deeper than like, oh, just eat. Or like, why can't you just yeah this? Or why don't you just stop doing this? And it's... It's like, it's not that simple. Because if it was that simple, I wouldn't be in this scenario right now. Exactly. And I think a lot of times what I noticed when I was struggling with my boyfriend was I wanted to kind of express my concerns about myself to him and him being a very, very protective, you know, guy over like his girlfriend who we've been together for almost three years. He wanted to fix the problem at hand and he wanted, he was getting frustrated and he would try to like, well, maybe if we do this or do this or whatever. And it's not that simple. So I guess if it's someone else you love, just recognize that it's not that simple. And if it was like, obviously it wouldn't be in this situation Mm -hmm. because it becomes, comes to a point where, the behaviors you're doing, no matter what it is, it isn't a choice. It becomes like a habit, a compulsion. It's like, you have to do it. And it just, it's so hard to explain mm-hmm. that kind of like, that need to do the behavior. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but like, <laughs> but but I, I feel like in 
and that mindset just being heard would go a long way you know what i mean like you said but with like the the validation of just like having people supporting you like i feel that goes for in like so many areas of life in general you know what i mean just like just being heard like it, it really goes a long way because there's so many times where like you can feel so alone mm-hmm. and i feel like an eating disorder that's one of those cases because like you said you could be your own worst enemy because of it and you don't want that to happen and it's like you know and just not you you even say yourself like it's not something you can get through by yourself so really finding like that good support system is probably the, the most important step that is the most important step is just just having that one person to be like i hear you i see you what are we going to do about it you know mm-hmm. and so how does how has having an eating disorder you know affected your your day-to-day life i think when i was very like deep in my eating disorder um like i said i was very very unpleasant to be around um I was always exhausted. I was really cold um, because my body was like not producing enough body heat. Um, You know, it kind of just a lot of things kind of piled on top of each other, you know, Um, low motivation, um, high anxiety, high depression, you know, feeling lightheaded, dizzy, Um, you know, and just very preoccupied with unimportant things in life, you know, mm. waking up and wondering what I was going to eat and how many calories were in what I was going to eat and what was the healthiest option and like, what should I be eating? And like, what am I going to do for my exercise today? And it was just, I would have these thoughts and I would be working eight hours a day and I would be working with people with eating disorders and I wouldn't be able to fully communicate with them. I wouldn't connect with them on a level anymore because I was so preoccupied with my own, you know, whatever was going on in my head that day. And it was just, it's exhausting. And you just can't, like I said, it's so hard to explain how much of like, it's just not a choice. It comes to a point where it's not a choice anymore. And it got to that point And that's when I was like, okay, I need help. And then, you know, it's difficult because for someone like me who was struggling for a long time without even knowing, I don't even recognize what is a normal, like a normal day. Like what is a normal thing that people think about, you know? Mm. And I think that that was something that was really hard because after struggling for so long, you don't even recognize that your thought processes are not normal, you know, and it, that's kind of what was difficult for me at first and looking back on it now, like after going through treatment and, you know, still working in recovery, it's like, wow, my thoughts were really disordered. And it's like in those, in your, in deep in your eating disorder day to day, you don't even recognize how just dysfunctional you are and like how exhausting it can be to just have an eating disorder for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a perfect segue into the next topic I wanted to talk about. You know, you mentioned that like the day to day kind of waking up and trying to figure out like, 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 what am I going to eat? How much am I going to eat? How many calories is it? What am I going to do to exercise to, you know, rectify that? Um, what is your take on food restricting and a lot of these diet trends, you know, whether it be just 
basic, you know, caloric deficits or, you know, these, these, these fads like keto, where you're just completely taking out certain macronutrients that you need. Um, you know, I, I can tell you, you're ready to rock and roll on this one. So take it away. This, I, you might have to like cut me off because I will go off. I, man, this is a podcast that I didn't have it work on here. That's true. Go for it. <laughs> so I have been like in recovery and also even working at my old job. Like I was doing a lot of research about, you know, different, you know, diets, like what kind of like the whole idea of recovery, like just doing a lot of research. I've read so many books. I think I've honestly read more books this summer than I have in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, all of them kind of say the same thing, you know, 95% of diets do not work. 95. So that means that 95% of the time you are going to fail and you're going to gain all of the weight back. And that's why the diet industry is so successful because Mm. every time they put out a new diet, you know, I remember my mom, my mom was on like the South beach diet, you know, and then there's like the paleo Atkins, like all of these different things, you know, they always come out with new things being like, okay, yeah, that didn't work, but this one's going to work. Yeah. No matter what you do, you're most, most likely going to fail. Yeah. It's it's like, it's because they they just glorify like the, the high points of it because at at the end of the day, they're, they're selling something to you. That's what it is. It's just a, it's a business. Like they're selling something to you. They know how, how much people care about how they look. And obviously like nobody wants to look bad, but like, I hope I'm like saying this the right way, but like it's, it's like, they just, people know that like sex and being sexy sells. So if that applies to the diet that they're, you know, promoting, they'll push that as hard as they can without Mm -hmm. repercussions of like gaining it all back. So it's just like, shit pisses me off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oof! it pisses me off so much. Um, Yeah. And honestly, one of the things that I've learned through my own like research and breeding is, you know, the diet industry in and of itself is a $60 billion industry. And so that means like they make so much money off of our own disappointment in our own bodies Mm. and that's why there's always something new like like i said there was the selfie giant now there's new you know that one comes up it's not a diet don't even come don't even don't even um (laughs) but a lot of times you know what happens when people start dieting whether it be you know for a wedding or you know for summer or whatever it may be you know you get into this like cycle of like yo-yo they call it yo-yo dieting so it's like you know you feel bad about your body so you start going on a restrictive diet you on the restrictive diet for a certain amount of time and then your body is like why aren't we eating food and then it starts craving and then you break and you end up binging on a bunch of food and then you feel really guilty about it and then you start another diet and oh, it just it's just a vicious cycle cycle and that cycle you know it never works and Mm. then there's another like biological part of you know our genetics that's something called the set a set point um it is technically still a theory but i definitely agree with this theory um so the theory is that through genetics and all of our background and 
ancestor, whatever, we all have a set point weight. Um, and that's kind of the weight that our body is the most highly functioning. So that could be somewhere between 110 or for someone else, it could be 215 or it could be no matter what it is, like, that's where your body wants to be. And one of the most amazing things and also most frustrating things for people who keep on going on diets is that our bodies will do everything in its power to try to maintain that weight. Mm -hmm. So if you're in like the mid 100s, whatever, and you're dieting and you're trying and trying and trying to go down, your body is going to fight back in so many different ways. It's going to hold on to every kind of food that you have. It's going to hold on to your fat. It's going to burn muscle before fat. It's going to shut down all of these other things because it wants you to stay at that weight. Because in reality, your body's main focus in life is keeping you alive. Right. It doesn't know that you're on this diet and it's because you want to look like someone else or you want to lose X amount of pounds. Yeah. What your body biologically like how it reacts is okay we're in a famine yeah and it doesn't take into account like oh no they're just taking out dairy like it's literally like okay we need to like shut down these different things and it's like it's like red alert yeah and it doesn't recognize it and so that's why people lose weight initially because your body adjusts to it but then you mm. stop because your body is going into starvation mode and yeah, that's like, it's trying to keep you alive. Yeah. I, f I feel like I mean like crazy deja vu right now. I, I, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this is like straight out of, out of a book that I'm pretty sure you posted on your Instagram story one time. It was, it was like, it's like your body doesn't give a shit about how you're trying to look. It's like going to do whatever it's, it's, it feels like it has to do to survive. Cause at, at the end of the day, that's what it's built for survival. I know. And it's so interesting because yeah, we're like, okay, yeah, our bodies are here to keep us alive, but we still think that we're going to be smarter than our bodies. Our, our bodies are way smarter than our brains like ever will be. Like the amount of different ways your body like will try to shut down different aspects. Like one of the big things for me when I was deep in my eating disorder was I was really cold. And it was something at the time that I was like, oh no, I always just, I have bad circulation. Like, no. And my body, what, what it was doing because it was going into starvation mode is it was stop it was stopping blood flow from getting sent to my toes and my fingers because in a famine or in like the deep trenches of like survival, your body's like, all right, fingers and toes, we can do without them. And that's why a lot of times, you know, like women will lose their period during like if they're anorexic and they're low body weight, even if they're not even low body weight, mm -hmm. uh, because your body's like, we're in a famine. We are in no way. We are not able to produce a baby right now. Like it shuts down that part wow. of like your body. It shuts down your sex drive. It shuts down your libido. It like everything shuts down because it's just trying to focus on keeping you alive. And I think that what people don't recognize about diets, especially the ones that are very restrictive, you know, is even if you're not actively starving yourself, like your body's going to think that it's starving yourself because no matter how many calories you're taking in normally and then how many calories you go down to, it's a still a caloric deficit and your body's going to react as a famine. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so interesting <laughs> and it's, it makes the most sense, you know, and that's why 
people see diets fail all the time. That's why they fail 95% of the time. My mind is blown. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. Like I, I, ne- I never like thought of it that way. And I feel like that's a perfect explanation for like, you know, like weight loss plateaus. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause it's like your, your, your body is like, at first it's kind of like, it's like, okay, we're taking away some calories. We'll, we'll adjust. No problem. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But then at a certain point, it's just like, it's like, all right, bro, you can't outsmart me. Like I am your body. You exactly. can keep trying, but this thing won't budge. Exactly. And, but, and people, we always think that we can outsmart our bodies, but we, we can't. And that's something that we are just going to need to accept, which is obviously in a society that's obsessed with like a tall, skinny, like oh my muscular, God. like, or any type of body type that is the ideal, you know, mm-hmm. like we want to fit into that. But when it comes down to it, we just need to begin to accept that, you know, our bodies aren't going to look like that because yep. as you know, as I've learned, only 5% of people in society have the so-called ideal body type. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just have to accept that set point that our body has for us because it is the safest place for us to be. And it might not be the most, you know, ideal for yourself. You know, like you might not like the way it looks, but at the same time, like you need to respect the fact that your body's just trying to keep you alive. Yes. And you... one of my favorite quotes that, I actually put in my Instagram post. I was I literally I found this quote like in my like in when I was in treatment and I think I just started crying because it was that powerful for me. And it's you don't need to love your body, you just need to respect it. And I think that that's one of the biggest misconceptions of like body positivity and you know, ED recovery is that oh, like they went through all of this stuff and they love their bodies, they like are like they just love themselves and all these things but I think what happens in ED recovery and you know when you kind of go through that body positivity you just need to respect that your body's doing what what it needs to do Mm -hmm. and I think that that's the biggest thing that I learned through treatment and that's the biggest thing that I take every single day is Mm -hmm. that you know today you might not love the way your body looks but you know you have to respect the fact that it's going to keep you alive today and it's going to allow you to do you know, you're going to allow you to walk and allow you going to allow you to hug people and, you know, do nothing all day if that's what you want to do, you know? And that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah. I, I think that's very uh, powerful to say because there's so much truth in that, but you don't need to necessarily love your body. You just need to respect it and accept it. And I think that's something a lot of people need to learn, especially I was about to say in the younger generations, but I, age is not, that doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I feel like, you know, society's definitely to blame for, you know, being a root cause for a lot of these eating disorders and body shaming and unrealistic physical appearance expect- expectations. You know, like you said, like only 5% of the world truly has that quote unquote ideal body, which means. of our quote unquote failures, not actually failures, but you know what I mean? And, you know, and I feel like that's such a big thing nowadays that you see all the time on social media, like, you know, girls trying to be like, like, Oh, I want to look at the next Kim K Kylie Jenner, uh, Gigi Hadid, the other Hadid sister whose name is blanking (laughs) on my mind. Yeah. 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 And, And it's just like, 
and even for guys too, like, yeah, like, like, like what guy doesn't want to look like, you know, Michael B. Jordan or Zach Efron, who's a beautiful human being, by the way. <laughs> I, I, that's my man crush right there. <laughs> but, and, you know, and at, at the end of the day, it's like, those people look like that because that's, that's their life. You know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe all the plants lined up, like that's their passion. They, they have the genetic advantage and you know, it's not, it didn't become a problem for them, but you know, like just as with everything else in life, it's different person to person, you know what I mean? And I feel like, you know, we as a society need to do better to stop, you know, glamorizing and promoting a certain type of lifestyle that is a not only like totally unattainable like like the five percent thing but not necessarily healthy you know what i mean like people like the the jenners the kardashians like they promote this lifestyle that's like you have to drive a fast car have a big house you need to have this certain type of body you need to be dating this celebrity and you know and it's just so many things that like so many people want to have and will seemingly do whatever it takes evidently to try to get there and it's just like you don't need to have those things to be truly happy you know and trying to strive for those things can ultimately backfire you know so i i want to hear your take also on what you have to say about you know society's role in um you know body shaming and these expectations and you know being root causes of eating disorders Yeah, I think, you know, with eating disorders, I think there's a lot of different causes, you know, one of the biggest ones, you know, are underlying, you know, mental illnesses, trauma, any other things, but a really, really big one is society. And like I said, only 5% of the, you know, population has that ideal body type of that, for girls specifically, like that tall, thin, yet muscular, like big butt, you know, like tiny waist, like 5% of people can attain that. And that's why the diet industry is so successful because Mm -hmm. they keep on profiting off of different things that they deem, you know, unsightly on women, you know, like cellulite or, you know, big shoulders, hip dips, any of these other things, you know, they find ways to convince women that they can shrink that part of their body if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, And then it just starts that cycle again. But, um, you know, I read in one of my books, there was actually two of my books had the same study. There was a study of, um, I forget what country it was, but it was a country in the East. And they had no, for a certain amount of time, they had like no television. And so they had no like ideal body type or mm. they had no one to you know, compare themselves to. And then when they finally got the tea, like the television, I think it was in the nineties, they saw a spike in eating disorders among young women because they started having Western influences on their culture. And even that in in and of itself, and I don't know the study, you know, by heart, but I read about it and, you know, they saw that spike and that just goes to show that culture and society and you know those messages that we're showing people every single day do have an influence on you know 
how they think about themselves. That's crazy. I, I had no idea about that country. And I, you, know, you know what I mean? Like that, It makes sense too, because people are, are, especially America, America is the CEO of doing this shit. It's just like pushing like sex and being sexy and just being a celebrity. That's why like so many, so many young kids like want to be like, like rich like influencers and like you know like it's so i don't want to say unrealistic because you know you should follow your dreams if that's what you really want to do but it's just it's just a like a business ploy you know what i mean and it's just it's just it's so sad to, that that's real you know what i mean like part of me doesn't want to accept that that's the fact of the matter but unfortunately it is but i mean like you know we're taking the necessary measures to, you know, educate ourselves and educate other people. So hopefully moving forward, you know, these like um, misconceptions and misinformations don't continue to occur. You know, speaking of like misconceptions, I got to ask, what are some of the biggest misconceptions about eating disorders that you've heard or seen personally? Um, I think one that, I mean, I've already talked about, you know, early at the beginning, was just that you have to look a certain way. And I think, um, you know, for a lot of Americans and, you know, anyone kind of Western society, you know, they're expecting, if they hear someone say eating disorder, they're expecting that emaciated, you know, tiny body and just like looking very sickly, you know, like that's what you need to be in order to get that diagnosis. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions of people outside the eating disorder society is they still hold on to that thought. And I think, I forget the percentage, but more often than not, you know, people with anorexia or bulimia, they are in a so-called bigger body. So that's someone who is normal weight or above normal weight. Mm -hmm. And like, that's something that took me a really long time being someone who, you know, never had that emaciated body. You know, and I never thought that that, like, I thought that that meant that I wasn't even sick. But, you know, that's what society is telling us is that, you know, if you have an eating disorder, you have to look this way. And I think that's, we're getting better with that. And I think people are becoming a little bit more accepting of it. Um, and that kind of, that goes back to that atypical anorexia, you know, conversation. But I think, you know, that's the biggest misconception that is so common in our society that, we're trying to get away from because I think that that can harm so many people because, you know, a lot of times with people with eating disorders and they go to their doctor, you know, and they explain all of these symptoms of someone with anorexia or someone with bulimia or someone with binge eating. And, you know, they explain all of these symptoms that they're having and the behaviors that they're using and their doctor looks at them, sees a bigger body and says, well, you're fine. And that like pushes people away from finding treatment. So there are 30 million Americans struggling and suffering from an eating disorder. And that's just like people who have come forward and are diagnosed. There are so many other people out there who don't go to the doctor because of weight bias and, you know, just kind of go through life struggling with the starvation and all of these other behaviors that they're using because they, you know, people don't, aren't believing what they're saying, you know, and, and it all kind of goes back to society, you know, focusing more on like the smaller body and, you know, not thinking that anyone in a bigger body could suffer from these things, mm -hmm. you know? Um, another really big misconception is that it only affects females, you know? And 
um, I, I did some research, of course, and 10 to 15% of people struggling with eating disorders are male. And it is a very low percentage, but not zero, you know? And I yeah. think going back to what you said about, you know, wanting to look like Michael B. Jordan or Zac Efron, beautiful as they are, you know, <laughs> it is, it's still unattainable. It's still that 5% of the ideal body, you know? And, you know, a lot of men and a lot of, um, they're seen a lot in like homosexual men and also transgender male, men um, and women as well. You know, they want us, they're, you know, they're also very much struggling with an eating disorder. And I think that people usually think of eating disorder as like, you know, a teenage white female in like a suburban, you know, town, you know, but there's so many other, you know, walks of life. Exactly. And, you know, everyone can struggle from it. And I think just spreading that acceptance of like, if you're a male, if you're African-American, if you're literally anything, like you can struggle from this and it is just as difficult for one person as the other. Yeah. That's crazy. Like even you said like 10 to 15% and you said, you mentioned earlier that like, you know, eating disorders affect at least 30 million people in the United States. So that's at least 3 million men out there, which is a lot. You know, that's, that's a lot. And yeah, it's crazy. I didn't know I, that. I, I know, I didn't right? Know and that that's, at all. And that's one of the things, that's one of the reasons why I love spreading awareness about this is because a lot of people don't know the reality of it. Yeah. And that's why I've read so many books is because it genuinely interests me because I love when I talk to someone like you who doesn't know much about it and it mm-hmm. just, your mind it gets, it blows because you see the reality of it and it's just placed in front of you. And you're like, how did we not see this before? Yeah. Like it, it it all adds up, you know? Exactly. And it's, I just, I think it's so interesting because it makes sense. I feel like I've learned a lot from you just now tonight, but you know, what can people like myself do to better educate themselves on the subject? So you could always look at some body positive books, um, anything that's related to eating disorder books, um, if that's something you're interested in. Um, Another thing that has really, really helped me um, is just even looking up on Instagram, like hashtag body positivity. It brings up a lot of different accounts um, of women who are in ED recovery or, you know, are just going through a body positive experience and, you know, they want to share that. that kind of just like brings in that community of like, we're all in this together. And that has really helped me going through my recovery is just having those kind of people coming up on my Insta because I used to have, you know, the opposite kind of coming up on my Instagram feed, you know, it used to be more like fitspo and like, you know, body goals and all those other things that can be so detrimental to, you know, your mental health. Yeah. You know, just kind of turning it, and, you know, looking more at like the body positivity or like body acceptance. Um, it all just kind of comes up to or comes down to if you are interested in learning about it, you know. Mm. And that's why I've read <laughs> so many books. And, you know, even looking at statistics online or, you know, you know, documentaries. I don't even know if there's a documentary out there. I'm sure there is. Yeah, but probably is. Yeah. 
just do like i guess do your research if it's something that really interests you reach out yeah. to someone who is like reach out to me if you know me i am very obviously interested in talking about mm. it you know um but just i guess if you're not interested in doing that much research into it just accept that it is a thing and accept that it's there and also accept that you don't know everything about it not saying i know everything about it by any means mm -hmm. but you know if you think you know everything about eating disorders you don't <laughs> yeah because i don't even you know mm -hmm. and it's just accept that it's there and accept that it's a problem and it is so prevalent in today's society and just you know accept it and i think that that's kind of what people with eating disorders that's what we want you know we just want people to hear our stories believe us validate us and then support us and i think you know if you just want to support someone with an eating disorder like that's all you can really do is just you know be there for them and validate them always 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 validate them because you have no idea what's going on in their head because it's yeah. it's crazy <laughs> <laughs> i feel so lucky to you know have had you on to tell your story i learned a lot we've only been talking for like an hour but i feel like i've learned a lot and it's been honestly quite a privilege to hear your story and to learn from you and i'm looking forward to you know keep on learning from you moving forward whether it be on like facebook instagram whatever it may be and i'm, I'm really excited for you know people to hear this episode because it it, it really is um i think it can be you know, a big turning point in a lot of people's lives, not necessarily in just like in the, f the space of eating disorders, but just being like, you know, there are so many problems out there that we kind of just don't really talk about just because it's not being like glamorized all over the media and just like brought up wherever you go. Like, like you said, like eating disorders are there. It's definitely a prevalent issue in our society today. But, um, you know, just with like a lot of other movements going on, hopefully we can you know, band together, uh, come together as a one society and, you know, help each other out because at the end of the day, we're all on this planet together. We all bleed the same, you know, we all came from the same part of the planet. I believe that I'm sure of it. <laughs> and, you know, we're all, we're all brothers and sisters at the end of the day. So I think it's only right that we treat each other as such, but yeah, that just about wraps up everything I wanted to talk about. I don't know if you have any final remarks. You don't have to love your body. You just need to respect it. Mm -hmm. Logan Hearn, everyone. Thank you so much for giving me your time. I really appreciate it. Thank of you. Course. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know, thank you for being you and <laughs> keep on keeping on. I will. All right. Peace. All right. So that concludes this week's episode of the life podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And if you can, go ahead and leave a rating, review, or comment below to support the podcast. If you haven't already, follow me on Instagram at Life of Satish. That's L-Y-Y-F-E-O-F-S-A-T-I-S-H. Thank you guys again for tuning in, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Peace.